Good morning. I would like to begin by saying thank you to Pastor Samuelson, your leadership team, for giving me this opportunity to proclaim God's word to God's people today. And I, of course, do not come to you in my own name, but in the name of the living God, and alive and well he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're like me, you don't mind hearing an occasional feel-good story. One that comes to my mind happened a number of years ago now. Maybe you've seen it on ESPN or a YouTube video. The setting was a girls' softball tournament championship game. A young lady up to bat appears to have hit the winning home run right over the fence. She's rounding first base, starts to limp, and then down on the ground she crashed with a torn ACL in her knee. And there she lay between first and second bases. Now the rules state that she herself must touch each base for the run to count, and that her teammates may not help her. The opposing players huddled, and they made a decision. They went to her side, and they lifted her up off of the ground. They carried her to second base, which she touched. Then they carried her to third base. She touched that and brought her home. The run counted. But those who helped lost the game. But they helped the hurting. That always feels good, does it not? If I might share with you a little bit of what the ministry I'm connected to does, Wisconsin Lutheran Child and Family Service Christian Family Solutions highlighted for you in the handout that you received as you entered church this morning. For over 50 years, this ministry has existed for no other reason than to help the hurting. The way in which we help the most hurting people, and we help them right here in Maryland, is through our professional, professional Christian counseling. Over 80 clinicians, seven of them are doctors, the rest master's level counselors operating out of any one of 50 clinics in six states. And if they're not helping somebody who drives to one of our clinics to get the help that they need, they're in front of their computer monitor using technology similar to Skype or FaceTime, offering face-to-face -face help to some hurting person literally somewhere in the world. Currently, over 650 Wells congregations use this service for the hurting members of the congregation. All of our Lutheran high schools, Martin Luther College, Wisconsin Lutheran College, Bethany Lutheran College, Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, all of our world missions makes use of this when needed for the hurting people in their ministry. In a recent study published in a book by our synod, a Lutheran psychologist who authored the book after studying a cross-section of Christian churches throughout America concluded that in any given year, 20% of a church's membership is in need of professional counseling help. It's one in five. We have helped people in this congregation. You name it and we see it. Anything from anxiety to depression, marital problems, problems with children, problems with parents, problems with loss, grief, loneliness, post-traumatic stress disorder, substance abuse, internet pornography addiction, and the list goes on and on and on, hurting people in need of help. And we are happy to be able to be there to help them. 
Last year, over 35,000 hours of counseling help to hurting people throughout the world. And we appreciate the partnership that we enjoy with Christ Lutheran Church and many other congregations, your interest in and your support for this congregation, for this ministry. But it's one thing for a congregation to take interest in and support a ministry that has expertise that maybe the members themselves do not possess. But when you stop and think about it, helping the hurting is what all of us do, not just professionals. The parable of the Good Samaritan read by Pastor earlier should leave no doubt in our minds as to what the expectation of Jesus is for our life as we live out our lives until he takes us home to heaven. He wants us not only to notice the hurting, he wants us not only to feel bad about their situation, but he wants us to do that which is in our power and ability to alleviate their suffering. And we're going to be reminded this morning that God, that this parable is not just a how-to parable. It's not just a feel-good story. We're going to be reminded this morning that God himself gives to you and to me both the desire and the power to help hurting people because he has made us a part of the best feel-good story there ever will be. My suspicion is that you're, you're pretty familiar with this parable of the Good Samaritan. Try to picture the setting. Jesus is teaching a crowd of people, and suddenly one stands up and sort of begins to challenge him a little bit. He's called an expert in the law. What's an expert in the law? Among other things, he knows the Bible pretty well. Personally, I think he's he's kind of full of himself. But try to picture. He kind of stands up, and he says, interrupts Jesus and says, Tell me, teacher, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And Jesus kind of turns it right back on the guy, and he basically says, well, you're the expert. How about if you tell me? What does the Bible say? And um, he recites the passage quite well. He says, well, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The response Jesus gives to that sounds like false doctrine at first, but it's not, of course. He basically says to the guy, buddy, you do that and you're in. What Jesus is getting at is that if this guy was capable of loving God perfectly and loving his neighbor perfectly, then he would not be among the imperfect who are in need of a Savior. He'd be able to get to heaven with his own effort. But of course, that was impossible for him because like us, he was a sinner and he had that to learn. My guess is that he had what I call a ladder-climbing approach to getting into God's heaven. What I mean by that is this. One rung of his ladder, the good things he tried to do. The next rung of his ladder, the bad things he tried to avoid. He'd keep on climbing, keep on striving, and he assumed that when he got to the top rung of the ladder, that's the day of his death, he'd find himself in front of heaven's door, the door would swing open, and then in he would go. It's not how it works, though, is it? Without a savior, his ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. He must have started to doubt his own theory because he comes back at Jesus and he says, yeah, but tell me, who's really my neighbor anyway? Once again, my guess is that he had a kind of a tight circle of friends. He had decided who's in that circle. People that looked like him, acted like him, educated like he was, as affluent as he was, he had decided these are the people I will invite into my inner circle. 
I will regard them as my neighbors. If they are hurting, I will feel an obligation to help them. But I've decided in my own head that people outside of my little circle, those people over there, they're not my neighbors. And if they are hurting, too bad. And so Jesus teaches a classic parable. A man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and suddenly his day goes south. He's jumped by some robbers. They take everything he has, nearly his life, and leave him on the side of the road to die. Two guys, one at a time, come by. They see this poor guy lying on the road. They look him over, probably look real sad, and shake their head. But they end up tiptoeing around him and going on with their day because, you guessed it, they had more important things to do. And these were the church-going types, a priest and a Levite. They should have known better. And then you have a guy coming by on his donkey. You would never expect him to stop, and he stops. He's a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews did not at all get along back then. He sees this poor guy, and his heart goes out to him. He's got to do something. So he jumps down, does his best to bandage him up, puts him on his own donkey, walks him into town, checks him into the urgent care facility of their day, stays with him through the night. In the morning, he has to be on his way, so he gives some cash to the innkeeper and says, I will return. If it costs more than this, we'll settle when I get back. End of story. And then you have, then you have Jesus asking the expert a question. Who was a neighbor? As he changes the question around from who is my neighbor to who acted neighborly to the man who fell among robbers. And he answered, well, it's the one who showed him mercy. Yeah, Jesus says, now, you go and do the same thing and forget about that little circle of yours. As I mentioned before, he had a ladder-climbing approach to getting into God's heaven. Unfortunately, without faith, your ladder is always leaning against the wrong wall. He was an expert, really going places. Without a Savior, however, one of those places was not heaven. It might be a good time in this sermon for you and me to ask ourselves the question, how does our effort at climbing the ladder look like? What has it looked like in the past? I mean, if we're truly honest, would you agree with me that there are times from our past that we would just as soon forget? If only we could forget, right? We're not very proud of them. Not very proud. Times when we withheld love from somebody. Times when we withheld forgiveness from somebody. Days when we acted as if the world revolved around us. Days when we worried and fretted instead of trusted and prayed. Days when we weren't too excited about coming to God's house, perhaps, and maybe when we did, we listened rather selectively. Times when we allowed raunchy thoughts to rattle around in our brain, assuming for a moment they're private, but of course, they're never private to God. And I'm sure that on more than one occasion, you and I have had somebody in our life who's truly hurting. They would have benefited from our help. We felt pretty bad about their situation. We felt we should do something, but we ended up tiptoeing around them and going on with our day because, once again, you guessed it, we had more important things to do. And we're the church-going types. Left to ourselves, our ladder is also leaning against the wrong wall. But you know, God so loved the world that he actually did something about that. 
Think about it. A lot of people can talk a good game when it comes to love or merely have loving thoughts. Loving activity, however, takes it to a whole nother level. God, in his love, took action. And the action that he took was the giving of his dearest treasure in the person of his son, who took on human flesh like you and I have, and then as the perfect holy son of God, he waded into the sinful, murky swamp of humanity, but he maintained his holiness in the process, and that is of vital importance to you and me, and this is why. Because God promises in his word that when you and I believe that his son is our savior, get this, God chooses to take the perfect life of his son in whom he is well pleased and he places it right over the top of our imperfect sinful life and then chooses to view us through the filter of his son's holiness and that allows him to regard us as his holy children and as a result his face shines down upon us with love and approval, acceptance and even admiration. That's a God you and I don't have to be afraid of. Not today. Not tomorrow, and not on the day we die. Talk about a feel-good story, and we are a part of that story. And that's only the half of it, because not only has God's Son lived a life of perfection on our behalf, he then eagerly and willingly went to the cross, suffering all the blame and shame for everybody's last sin in the process, winning for you and for me the forgiveness of all of our sins. So that as far as the east is from the west, and that's a very long distance. That's as far as God has removed our transgressions from us. And God promises in his word that when you and I believe that his son has done that for us, get this, God chooses to elevate you and me to the status of one of his family. You and I are children of the Most High God. And in that status, we have his assurance of his provision, his protection, his grace 24-7 on good days and not so good days until he finally brings us to a real, endless, perfect, joy-filled, custom-made heaven. And he has his family back together again. Talk about a feel-good story. And we're connected to it. You might have noticed we're not in heaven yet, though, are we? There are chapters in our story yet to be written. The Good Samaritan parable reminds us of what Jesus is looking for in the chapters of our story that remain in our life. And my suspicion is that every member of Christ's Lutheran Church has somebody in his or her life that would benefit from you exhibiting your gratitude for God's grace by showing them love, concern, and help. We see people like that in our ministry every single day. A couple of years ago, I was um, preaching down in Florida. Of course, I'm from Wisconsin. It was during the Wisconsin winter, so can't feel too sorry for me. When I was down there. I, I preached the sermon. At the end of the service, I was at the door. I was greeting people. You know, you have to remember that what we do in our counseling is totally confidential. I have no way of knowing who's getting the help that we give them. Just so happens that there was a mom and a teenage daughter in the audience that day. I can still see the daughter in the congregation. She had multiple colors in her hair. And uh, when they came through the line to greet me, to shake my hand, mom shook my hand, and with the other hand, she slipped me a note. I read the note later. It said, thank you. I have my daughter back, and she's also back with the Lord. We had been counseling her daughter. Help for the hurting. 
I use that story, that illustration, almost every time I preach. I think for good reason. I used it up in Wisconsin recently. And uh, when I was done preaching, I was at the door after the service. I was greeting somebody. A gentleman came through the line. Yeah, you guessed it. He shook my hand and handed me a note. He said, thank you. I have my wife back. Yeah, help for the hurting. A while ago, I was on the West Coast, and I presented at a convention when I was done presenting. A gentleman in the audience who I had never met, and once again, who I had no way of knowing we had been counseling using video, introduced himself to me and said, Pastor Matt, can we speak privately sometime today? I said, certainly. We found a spot to talk later in the day, and he shared his story. He said, I'm married, I have children, and the chairman of our congregation and the lay delegate to this convention. And ever since I was a young boy, I've struggled with same-sex attraction. Thank you. Thank you so much for your counseling. I'm now able to manage this burden in a way that pleases my Lord. Help for the hurting. Up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, way up there above Wisconsin even, uh, in the Lake Superior Circuit, we have 15 Wells congregations. The economy up there is not good. Church budgets are struggling. Problems abound. Access to counseling, hardly any. All 15 congregations make use of our counselors for the hurting members of the congregation. And the only way that they are able to afford that kind of service is because of the generosity of one couple. They pay it all anonymously. And the reason this couple is so generous is because years ago when their son returned from serving in Afghanistan, he was suffering terribly from post-traumatic stress disorder. His marriage began to fall apart. His relationship with God began to disintegrate. He got help from one of our doctors. He's doing pretty well today. I know him personally. His first name is Rod. And his parents are so thankful for the help that Rod received when he needed it that they want folks up where they live to have access to the same kind of help when they need help, help for the hurting. When I compare the expert of the law in this story to the man in the parable dying in the road, I choose to believe that the expert in the law was actually in worse condition because he was still dead spiritually in his transgressions and in his sins. The light of faith clicked. Click had not come on yet for him to the point where he saw a need for a savior and the fact that he had one in the man he was currently trying to trip up. This expert was actually hurting and didn't even realize it, which leads me to one last story I'd like to share with you. In one of the congregations that I've served in my ministry, there was a young lady, probably at the time in her mid-30s, so faithful, worship, Bible class, service, you name it, a real joy. But something about all of that made her extremely sad. It was her husband. And I'll give to him the name Dennis. He would have nothing to do with church. He was a devout atheist. She talked to me on occasion about her concern for Dennis. He traveled quite a bit with his work, and she knew that if something happened to him, he would be lost eternally. On one occasion, when I visited them at their house, Dennis nearly laughed me out of the house. After a couple of years, he suddenly began to show up in church with her. But he made it obvious to everybody that he was not a willing participant. He did not act appropriately in church. He was not nice, very rude. But Dennis was there. About a year later, he showed up unannounced at my office. 
And after some small talk, he got to his point. He said, Pastor Medic, that, uh, that, that thing you hand out at churches. You mean the bulletin? Yeah, the, the bulletin. It says in there that, um, you've got some kind of a information class starting up. Said, yeah, yeah, Bible information class. I don't know. I, I guess I might want to take that in. Whoa. He was a very busy guy, and his schedule was not compatible with the day and time of the class, and so I took him through the class one-on-one. In this case, it was a 20-chapter, a 20-week class, a good hour every week taking a look at what God had to say about everything. And after 20 weeks, I asked him, I said, uh, you know, Dennis, uh, what do you think? I don't know. I just don't know. Could I take the class again? Sure. We started all over again, which was fine with me. 20 more weeks. We ended up going nearly a year. And after um, after we were done, at least I assumed we were done, I asked him again. I said, uh, Dennis, um, what do you think? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, um, I'm just glad I did not die. Click, click. The light of faith had come on, and I now knew he needed a Savior and had one in God's Son. I pursued it further with him. I said, Dennis, in the class, we talked about the power of the Word of God and how the Holy Spirit uses the Word to give a person faith and then to sustain that faith. I said, in your case, and and tell me if I'm wrong, it, it just seems to me that maybe something happened before that made you want to turn the corner and come and hear the Word of God in a serious way. Am I right? And if so, uh, you know, what was it? He thought for a moment and he said, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. What was it? The crazy members of your church. That's what he said. Of course, I said, would you mind explaining what you mean by that? And he said, they were crazy nice. And I didn't get it. He went on to explain. He said, do you remember what a jerk I was when I first came to church? I wanted to say, yeah, I do, but I didn't go there. (laughs) It's not how they treated me, though, he said. They seemed sincerely happy that I was there. They invited me to come back. They'd break away from conversations they were having with people they knew real well to try to strike one up with me. They cared. Some guys even asked me to go golfing with them. What was that all about? They were crazy nice, and I didn't get it. But now I do. You see, Dennis was an expert, vice president of an international corporation. He was really going places, but until God found him, one of those places was not heaven. He had been hurting and didn't even realize it. My guess is that everybody here this morning in church has a Dennis in your life. Maybe they're hurting and they know it and don't know why, or they're hurting and they don't realize it. Anyway, without Jesus in their life, they are hurting. Is that person in your life your opportunity to build a bridge of kindness and helpfulness toward that hurting person? 
so that in God's good time, they might just realize what you're doing, turn and come walking back towards you over the bridge you built in order to find out what makes you the way you are. You and I are part of the best feel-good story there ever will be. There are chapters in our story yet to be written. May those chapters include examples of us being good Samaritans, helping the hurting. Amen.